welcome back to another episode of Making Sense of Money. I'm sorry I missed you guys the last time that we (laughs) produced an episode. And I want to thank you for being here and listening to this one. My name is Andrea Pellegrini, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm Nikki Giancola Shakes, another one of your hosts. Uh, Last time, Jake and I talked about identity theft and ways that you could protect yourself. So make sure to check it out if you missed it. And I'm Jake Hamilton, another another one of your hosts. Today, uh, I'm going to be interviewing Andrea and Nikki as we focus on credit. Uh, you can consider this an introductory episode on the topic. We'll focus on defining credit and examining some of its benefits. We'll also focus on credit scores, credit reports, and credit histories. To start, Nikki, could you give us a basic definition of what credit is? Yes. So the basic definition of credit is basically when you borrow money, usually to, to buy some type of good or service. And you, when you purchase it, you're understanding that you're going to pay for it later. So when you're, you know, scanning your credit card to pay for groceries, that $100 that you're spending on groceries goes on your credit card and it's not pulled directly from your account. You'll actually pay for it when you pay your credit card bill. So this also allows people to pay for big purchases such as cars or furniture or your water heater breaks. You need a new water heater because you could pay it back over time. So it's basically a way to make these types of purchases and pay it back. And we're going to get a little bit more into what that means to pay it back. There's interest and other things to also consider, but that's just the basic definition. Okay. Okay. Uh, Andrea, can you tell us why credit is important and what are some of the benefits of having credit? So there are lots of reasons why credit is important, especially if you're a consumer in the United States. As a system, it can help make decisions about risk easier for businesses specifically, like lenders, for instance. As a tool, like for consumers, it can provide more choices than might be available without access to a credit system. So some of the the more salient benefits of credit include convenience, because you can buy things now and pay for them later, like Nikki was talking about. You can earn points on purchases, especially with certain types of credit cards, right? So you can get additional money sometimes or value by using credit from your lender. Sometimes it's used as an emergency fund, right? And you can get goods and services now and pay it back later over time. Credit can impact our ability to get a loan, right? That's the most common usage for for credit is getting some type of loan or access to a line of credit to use. It can also impact the cost of financial services, not just how much a loan is like interest rates, right? But it can also impact how much we pay for insurance, auto insurance, life insurance, all kinds of different types of insurance. And it can even impact our ability to get a job in some states or certain industries. So there are lots of reasons why it's really important. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely an important topic. Um, We also know that credit can be sometimes a tricky thing for people to manage. Uh, For example, according to an article in the USA Today from February of this year, The average balance on a credit card for Americans is $6,200. Nikki, could you explain some of the challenges of managing credit? Yeah, so 
as I kind of mentioned before, interest is a, is a plays a big part when it comes to credit. So let's say you put $100 on your credit card, but it's going to have an interest rate. And what that means is they're going to charge you more for your $100 purchase. So, and if you only make minimum payments, a lot of times you end up paying double, sometimes triple, depending on the amount that you, you put on your credit card and, and the interest rates for that loan. So you see that, because basically credit is a type of loan in the end. Even you're saying you're going to pay it later, but you're basically borrowing that time. So you're borrowing this time. And as a result, wherever you're borrowing it from, they're going to charge you for it. So you can see this with personal loans, mortgages, student loans, right? Everybody talks about interest and how it really affects their payments. So it's very easy when people get into this to spend more than people have because they may look and say, oh, well, I can afford this new car uh, with this loan and pay it back, you know, put it on my credit, you know, do all that. But then they don't sit down to actually figure out how much they're paying over time. And maybe they need to shop for something that has a loan that's going to give them a lower interest rate. So it may not be that that the, the car that they're looking at. Same thing for household items, right? Like we need a new couch. Well, yeah, I can afford this couch, but I'm not taking in how much it's going to cost at the end once I pay all this interest with my credit on the credit. So it's just something that people really have to track and figure out and take into to account. And a lot of people just either don't realize that or they just don't have the time. And it's like, I need this, so I'm going to get this. And you have to be aware of it and make sure you're taking that into account. I think another way to look at it is the way that consumers learn about credit and their access to financial services like loans is how it's marketed. And a lot of marketers appeal to your capacity within a single month or a single budget period. So if you're constantly being told it's only $150 a month for this brand new car and you don't look at the broader costs of it, can really get you trapped in the overspending kind of habit if you aren't looking more broadly at things, which is understandable, especially right now when it's a lot easier to look at how can I cover the next two weeks or the next month instead of the next five years. And I think people use credit, especially in this case, I'm going to say credit cards are sometimes used in cases of emergency too, where like, I can't afford maybe my two week budget, right? I lost my job, but I need to buy food for my family. And so they put it on the credit card and then they're being charged interest. And so it's like, if you're not careful, it becomes an evil cycle a little bit of you're using a Band-Aid to use that credit to make sure that you could afford what you need in the moment. But then in the long run, you end up paying more. So it's something that consumers really need to think about when they're planning purchases. And I know, especially with COVID and everything and people losing their jobs, not everybody's going to have that luxury, but it's definitely something to keep in mind because you don't want to end up in a big hole. And that's sometimes what happens with people who use a lot of credit. They all of a sudden, their bill is 
$10,000 and they're like, how did I get here? Yeah, I think you do hear a lot about kind of the cycle of debt might be a familiar term to some people and it can be easy for some borrowers to, to fall into that, that cycle of borrowing and then paying back and then, you know, factoring interest, the cost can really rack up for some people. But, but I, that's not to say that credit's all bad. There's obviously a lot of benefits to it, uh, as Andrea alluded to earlier. But oh, for sure. I don't want people to think we're saying all credit's bad. Like it's not right. It does allow you to make big purchases that are important in your life, like your education or the car that you need or the home that you're living in, or, you know, it's definitely not all bad. It's just one of those things I just want to, Oh, whenever I talk about credit, I always want to mention it is something to keep in the back of your mind that especially like Andrew was talking about points, right? People use their credit card to, to get points. We do it, but then like you have to make sure that you're paying it off at the end of the month. So you're not end up ending up paying more money for your points. If that makes sense. Having yeah. a plan about how to use the tools responsibly is the important piece. Yeah. That's right. With As with all things in life, you know, you just want to make sure you're responsible about it and using it in moderation. Sometimes your, you know, your access to credit or your credit limit doesn't always match up exactly with what you can, you know, manage in your budget. But, you know, we want to look at the flip side of that too. Are there any costs of choosing not to engage with the credit system for those that might be wary about it, Andrea? Absolutely. So if you choose not to engage in the credit system, it can lead to being um, what you might call credit invisible. So when you're credit invisible, it can be hard or even impossible to obtain certain financial products or services or tools like we were talking about earlier. For example, it's a lot harder to travel sometimes uh, without a credit card. For instance, some airlines or hotels won't accept other forms of payment other than credit cards. Many hotels will actually freeze your debit card if you use a debit card to check in, um, which will prevent you from making purchases, you know, like eating while you're (laughs) checked into the hotel until you check out of the hotel. I've had an instance once where my credit card was frozen when I got to something some fraudulent activity had happened and I had not noticed it. So I had to put the hotel on my debit card and I could not afford food that night. It happens even to the most planning of us. (laughs) Insurance companies is something that a lot of people don't think about. They also use credit uh, to determine whether or not to provide you coverage or to determine how much they're going to charge you for the risk they have in giving you insurance coverage. When you are credit invisible, you're likely going to pay more for insurance over the course of your lifetime, or you might have more trouble getting access to insurance or finding insurance to cover you. In Illinois, for instance, auto insurance is required by law if you own a vehicle. And some studies have shown that auto insurance rates are sometimes based more on your credit worthiness, the data in your credit reports, than it is on your driving record, which is kind of telling of what risk means to those insurance companies. And then if you think about credit cards specifically, The Credit Card Act of 2009 provided a lot of protections for consumers that are using credit cards that just simply don't exist for other types of products. For example, if you make an online purchase with a credit card and they send you 
a blender, but you bought a toaster, there's no way for you to make bagels in your toaster, right? And the vendor doesn't want to give you a toaster. They're like, no, we sent you a blender and they're not going to give you any money back. If you bought it with a credit card, you could get that money back from your credit card company. If you bought it with a debit card, you bought yourself a blender instead of a toaster. So that's just one example of the types of legal protections that you have with a credit card that aren't available with debit cards. I believe we're going to talk more probably the next time about credit card <laughs> uh, legislation that helps us. But that's just a few examples of what being credit card invisible or credit invisible would mean to your overall costs. I mean, I don't, we might have a few listeners who might make their bagels in a blender, but <laughs> they're probably not too numerous. Uh, and if, uh, if you do make your bagels that way, we'd like to hear from you. So please reach out. Uh, that would be an interesting story. Uh, and that was an interesting note on the travel too. I think, you know, some people might think, you know, if I have the money in my checking account or if I have cash to pay for this hotel or, or flight, why can't I just pay with that rather than credit? I think, and this might be a topic for another episode, but I think that has to do with our payment system and, and sometimes the, the time it takes for payments to process so that hotel or airline just wants to make sure the funds are available. So that's why they rely on credit rather than debit or other forms of payment. And I also um, like that you talked about the legal protections between debit card and credit card that there are different legal protections for them um yes. again i think people you know there i have a credit card with my bank and i have a debit card with my bank so i'm covered by the same thing and it's not true because of different federal laws so i think that's probably something that is new to a lot of our listeners well and every financial institution that offers different services or products is going to have different consumer protections for those different products and services. So you might have a bank that will do the same protections for a debit card they do for their credit card, but they are not legally required to do that. They're only legally required to do it on the credit card. So if they decided to change their system or change their policies, then your debit card transactions are at risk. And who likes to read the very, very long legalese that they send you when there's updates to your, your debit card policy? Right. Not I. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anybody likes to read those. Uh, <laughs> unless maybe you're, you're a lawyer or something, but I, I would, I would guess that most people don't, but let's talk a little bit about people may have heard of of credit bureaus, the things that I guess track our credit. Andrea, could you maybe demystify the credit bureaus for our listeners? Who are they? What do they do? Why should people be aware of them? I will do my best. The credit system and the credit bureaus like to have this vague mystery around them a lot. So I'll do my best <laughs> to demystify as much as possible. So there's three main credit bureaus, at least in the United States. There's Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. And there's a newer one that they're calling the fourth credit bureau that doesn't, you don't see it show up when you look at credit bureaus quite as much. It's called Innovus. It collects similar information to the other three, which is why it's called the fourth one. But there are also other types of credit bureaus. But in general, credit bureaus obtain information about you as a consumer usually from lenders or other businesses, as well as the public domain, and they maintain databases about your 
economic history, like payments, account types, even job history or previous home addresses. There are also, like I said, some smaller credit bureaus or credit checking agencies that focus on specific activities, like they might provide educational resources to lenders, or they might specialize in a specific type of credit check. But Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax are those three main credit bureaus where most credit scoring companies will get their data from. So those three main ones, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, they get all this data that sometimes they'll turn into a credit score, but there are other credit scoring companies that specifically focus on turning the data into a score in order to give to other, they sell it to other businesses. Uh, Those three credit bureaus are competing companies. They don't share information. So when you look into the data on your databases at Experian, it may not match exactly the same at TransUnion or Equifax. So it's important when you're thinking about the credit system and the credit scoring algorithms out there and how lenders might use information about you or how other businesses might use information about you is to make sure that the data in your credit histories or reports from those three bureaus are accurate, no matter which one is pulled. And I know we talked about annualcreditreport.com in the previous episode, and I know we're going to talk about it a lot now, but that's the only place that's legally designated to get all three of those credit bureau reports for free. So there are other monitoring tools out there, but those are, that would be where you get them and make sure that the data is accurate. Okay. Thanks, Andrea. That I think clears up some of the the mystery about these credit bureaus and and what they do. So they are private companies that that track all of this for us, you know, talking about credit scores, there's often, you know, a lot of people mention their credit scores or they might not, but, uh, you know, people talk about them often. Nikki, could you explain a little bit what a credit score is and what credit scores are used for? Yes. So a credit score is usually a three digit number that is based on an analysis of a consumer's credit use. There are cases, and we know for sure in the past where some credit scores may be longer than three digits, but typically when people are like, this is my credit score and they, you pull your own report on your credit score, it's going to be the, a three-digit number. So there are different categories that make up that number. So what they do is they look into the following. Your payment history. So that includes any late payments across the board. So we're not talking about, I made one late payment on my Chase credit card. So that's only going to affect that score. No, if you have a late payment on your Chase credit card, and on your car loan, and on your Target store credit, all of those late payments get taken into account. Then the total amount a consumer owes in credit, the length of your credit history. So did you just open an account? Have you had credit in your name from the time you were younger to now? Any new credit that you open and the types of credit used. So those are the main categories that the main credit bureaus that Andrea talked about take into account. Of those, one that's usually weighed the most is payment history. So if you have a ton of late payments across the board, it's going to affect your credit score quicker than other categories. So the credit scores are based on scale. The scale that I'm giving you is that these relate to 
the three credit bureaus that Andrea was talking about. So there are other companies, which Andrea's going to talk about a little bit in a second, that may have a tweak of their ranges. But in general, if you have a credit score of 300 to 579, it's considered poor credit. 580 to 669, fair credit. 670 to 739, good credit. 740 to 799, very good credit. And 800 to 850, exceptional credit. So now where does the typical American fit in? It all depends, but according to Experian, one of the credit bureaus that Andrea talked about, the average American credit score in the first quarter of 2020 was 705. So that kind of gives you a range of, that's the average. So there's going to be people who are way lower and then people who have a, a higher score. So why do we care? What is the credit score used for? So it's used in many different ways by many different companies. For example, if you want a new credit card, if you want a car loan, if you want a mortgage, even if you want to buy that piece of furniture from the department store, and to do it, you want to open up a new credit card at that department store, your credit score is checked. Sometimes your credit score is checked against more than one agency. So like, for example, your credit pull for a mortgage is going to be more in depth than your credit pull for that department store credit card. You're going to look at maybe all three at Experian TransUnion and Equifax for a mortgage, whereas maybe the other one will just look at your FICO score. It all depends. Go ahead, Andrea, chime in. <laughs> so I think it's one thing to to remember that the the credit bureaus, their primary focus is to collect data on you. They may also sell algorithms, but they're also scoring companies like FICO, which we'll talk more about later, that sell scores. So when a lender pulls different scores, they might be either pulling from Experian, TransUnion, or Equifax's algorithms. They sell different algorithms, or they might be pulling from FICO, or they might be pulling from Vantage score. They might be pulling from different scoring company. There are even subsidiaries of lenders that might be creating scores based on the data. So no matter what score or scores are pulled for whatever choice you're trying to make, just make sure that, that data is accurate in all of your credit bureau reports databases. It gets really confusing. Uh, I just wanted to get really confusing. in there. And we'll talk to you about how you can go in and kind of, you know, log in and, and get your credit report and stuff in a second. Um, but in general, why does it get so confusing? Because every company uses credit scores in different ways and they use it to assess what their risk is when making decisions about extending opportunities to you. So again, somebody who, a mortgage company and you know the department furniture store, there's definitely different risk there, right? It's different amount of money. So they're looking for different things. In general, the better your credit score is, the more it can help you. The higher your credit score is, it could qualify you for different loans with less down payment, like, I keep bringing up mortgages, but that's just one that I think is easiest to understand that if your credit score is higher, they're going to say, okay, well, you don't need to bring as much to the table to buy this house because we are willing to take a bigger risk knowing that you're going to pay this. But it's not just mortgages. It could be a car loan. Like I said, anything like that. 
it also may qualify you for different types of credit cards. Like Andrew talked about with the rewards and things of credit cards, the higher your credit score is, the more likely you're going to qualify for these different credit cards that they also give, can give back to you. It doesn't mean that if you have lower credit scores, you can't qualify for a new loan or a new purchase you need. It just means that you may you have to either bring more money to the table or it may come with like a caveat. Maybe they're going to say, we want this loan paid off in a shorter amount of time to make sure that it actually gets paid, something like that. So in general, higher the, your credit score, the better it is for you personally. Usually consumers with lower credit scores or lower credit worthiness will pay more in interest. So that's a big piece of the puzzle. And if you take longer, like maybe you won't be able to afford the monthly payment because you're lower income and your credit is lower, then it will cost you more over time, even if the interest rate is the same and they just have you pay over a six-year period instead of a three-year period, you're going to be paying a lot more over time because of that compounding interest. And the other thing to keep in mind is that a single person can have several different credit scores associated with them. Why and how does that work? Because different models are being used, like Andrew keeps talking about their algorithms of the different bureaus and, and different companies that create credit scores. So if you have a company, like maybe you missed a payment to for a medical bill and that gets reported to the credit bureaus. Well, what if they like don't report it correctly to all three? So then one of your credit scores is going to be slightly higher than the other two that has that late, late payment on it. That's just one example. So when that happens, that's why we want to encourage you guys, as I said, we'll talk about how to check your credit score and your credit report to make sure you stay on top of that, to make sure that you're kind of keeping an eye on at least the main credit bureaus that are monitoring your credit. So that way, if there is a big discrepancy, it's great to, to get it taken care of right away. Andrew, do you have anything else you want to jump in about multiple? That's a lot of information. Credit scores. I, I think it's very hard to keep credit scores, credit reports, credit histories, credit bureaus separate because they all interconnect. They all work together. So the biggest thing is check your credit reports to make sure that the history is accurate. I'm going to repeat myself several times on that. And then no matter which score is pulled, it's going to be accurate representation of what that lender wants because the different scoring companies will prioritize for specific lenders even sometimes. So that's a big, big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it sounds like credit scores are as varied or can be as varied and different as like the types of financial products that you might be applying for, you know. Absolutely. A, a small consumer loan is very different from mortgage, and sometimes that might require a different type of credit score to assess that risk to the lender. If a person can have different credit scores, is there one type of score or you know one bureau or something that is used most frequently by the lenders? Yes, Jake, there is. So we've talked about FICO a lot, right? That is the credit scoring company used by as much as 80% of lenders. 
right, in the financial services industry. The company that sells FICO scores is called Fair Isaac Corporation. So you may have may or may not have heard of that, but they sell almost 50 different scores for each person. So if someone would pull a FICO score on me, I could have 49 different results. Some of those scores are created for specific lenders. Some of them are created to prioritize specific types of information in your credit reports. Some of them are consumer facing, like what I pull as a consumer would look very different compared to what my financial institution would pull if I asked for an auto loan, right? So those, that's just more information about why the scores are so different is because they have different audiences, they have different purposes, they have different priorities when they're created. And the scoring companies have to keep their algorithms or recipes a secret, right? If people crack the code, then they can game the credit system a little bit. So that's why they change it also pretty frequently. And they may be using different ones at different times. So that's what makes scoring so difficult. Vantage scores are another type of popular score. So I wanted to ask a question to clarify. So the bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, <laughs> I, always for, I always forget Experian. Sorry, Experian. Okay. So they collect all of our data, right? Yes. And then do they then, FICO takes that data and then develops all these different scores. Is that kind of the gist of that's, how that works? That's one, one method of getting a score, right? Another method is you pay Experian to pull a consumer score specifically for you or your furniture seller company that you went to to buy your couch only works with Experian. And so they get an Experian score created specifically for them. There are lots of companies that sell scores. Got it. Got right? it. The okay. bureaus sell their own flavor. FICO is like, would be like a name brand of a score. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that maybe for the listeners. It was you and I even, you know, caught myself. I was getting a little confused on the difference between FICO and, you know, the three bureaus and just wanted to clarify that. Like I said, it's very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) As many clarifying questions as we can ask each other, probably better for the listeners. (laughs) I think so. I think so. So FICO is one right? One scoring company and they sell lots of different scores. Vantage score is another scoring company and they sell several different scores. When you're seeing scores, like if your credit card company provides a score with your bill or you use financial aggregator like Mint to monitor all your finances and they offer a free score, usually those scores are Vantage scores or some type of score that's created specifically for consumers. Not all Vantage scores are created specifically for consumers, but that's just an example. A lot of the consumer specifically facing scores are Vantage scores. So just be mindful that what you look at on like Credit Karma, for instance, is created for you to view as a consumer typically. And it may not be the same thing as what your mortgage company sees when they pull a credit report on you or credit score on you. See, I'm even confusing them. <laughs> and then you, you also got to think about insurance scores are going to be different than lender scores. So insurance companies have different priorities. And so 
the insurance scores would likely be different than what the lender scores are. That makes sense. I think, I think with the insurance aspect, I think that's a part that a lot of people may not think of or jump to when you think about credit, because most of the time when you think about credit, it's, you know, associated with a credit card or a loan. Not too many people also know that, you know, your credit score can, is also a part of how insurance companies assess risk. And, and that's going to be different from a financial institution that's, you know, letting you borrow money because it's not exactly the same thing. Exactly. And, and even with federal student plus loans, they use credit worthiness as a factor in whether or not they decide to provide plus loans either to parents or to uh, grad students, but they actually look at the credit history as well as looking more broadly at what credit, credit worthiness looks like. But that's an example of how it's, it's used in combination of with other factors and making a, a lending decision. Yeah. Yeah. So even, you know, even public institutions, you know, use this stuff as well. Andrea alluded to this earlier, but another thing you hear a lot with credit and, you know, she said she's going to make this point a lot, but you hear the buzzword, you know, credit, credit reports, check your credit report, make sure everything is okay. Could you, Nikki, maybe explain a little bit about like what a credit report is and how it's different than your actual credit score? Sure. So credit reports contain your data. So such as your payment history, your balances, your account types, et cetera. And a credit score is a numerical value given to that data in your credit report to describe your credit worthiness. So for example, as a consumer, let's say I pull my credit score. I, you know, for me at my bank, I could go on like once a week to get a credit score, right? And I notice from in a month, my credit score all of a sudden has dropped 15 points. I'm like, what? I, nothing. Oh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> the credit score itself is not going to tell me exactly what happened. My credit report, however, I could go and see who reported, like, did I miss a payment somewhere? Did I not miss a payment, but it's saying I missed some sort of payment? So the score is your score. It's just your score. The report is going to tell you what exactly is being made up of your credit score. I know for me, I think of the credit report as a really good tool to be able to look at and see, okay, maybe it's like, I missed a payment here. I missed a payment there. Oh, I opened up this, you know, like when my husband and I bought a house, right? That obviously then affected my credit score. But when you see that the change in just your score, it's a little scary, but your credit report can help demystify that for you. Go ahead, Andrea. One thing that might contribute to a score fluctuation like that, like that, that isn't really cause for a huge concern is the credit availability to debt ratio for different accounts. So it might be that Nikki, when you saw a 15 point drop in your credit score is that the day that they created that credit score for you, you were using a significantly more a significantly higher ratio of your credit card availability. And then the next day you paid it off. So it's not even the same score anymore. And that's where I feel like the report helps, right? Because you could see that history and you're like, oh, well, this is not a problem. Or, oh, wait, somehow I missed this. This is a problem. So the score is just a number that's assigned, but your report 
is going to give you all the details that make up your score. Yeah, the report, you know, is the context behind the number, you know, a number doesn't describe everything about your credit. The the report, if you go in and look at the details, kind of explains why your number is where it's at. The dropping the credit score thing actually happened to me recently too. I was checking it and all of a sudden my credit score dropped. I, I don't remember how much it was, but it was definitely lower than than I thought it should be. And then I went and looked at my credit report and the reason why was because I had a couple of older credit cards that I opened at a store for a one-time purchase. I think one was Best Buy to buy a TV, you know, four years ago. And two of those credit cards closed their accounts. Um, And so that impacted my age of credit, which, you know, has an impact on your score. So my account, my, my average age, my average account age got lower. And so my score dropped. So after I looked at my credit report, I was able to understand why that happened. It made more sense other than just seeing the numbers drop. Well, and and even looking at which score are you being provided and comparing the same score over time, rather than looking like last month, it was a FICO three score that I looked at. And this month I looked at a Vantage score, right? That could be a a difference in fluctuation too. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I think it's pretty clear now, hopefully it's, it's clear to our listeners now that credit is important. And it can have an impact on many aspects of our lives. But we want to detail, you know, we've talked about monitoring your credit. We want to talk about how to do that. Um, Nikki, do you want to talk a little bit about the best ways to monitor our credit? Sure. So one that Andrea's already mentioned, and we've actually talked about on this podcast before as well, is annualcreditreport.com. So that is a website that was established by the Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction Act. And it's the only place that you can go to get all three of your credit reports. And the key is it's free to do that once a year. It's free to pull your credit reports off of annualcreditreport.com. However, because of the current pandemic, Experience, TransUnion, and Equifax are all allowing free weekly pulls of your credit reports through April, 2021 right now. And that's obviously, as I we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, there are a lot of people who are unemployed who are deferring payments, maybe having to use their credit cards more, et cetera. So they are trying to make the, your credit report a little bit easier to access and to monitor, to make sure your financial institutions or where you're getting your loans from are coding everything correctly. So for example, for people who have student loans, and they've called and asked for a forbearance. And then maybe the next time, all of a sudden it says that they're missing a a student loan payment. Well, that's obviously gonna affect your credit. However, that's more of a reporting issue, right? Because you know that you have forbearance, but if you're able to pull it in this time of the pandemic more frequently, you could stay on top of things like that if if that's something that you need to do. Jake, did you have something you wanted to? Yeah, I had a question on on that too. So annualcreditreport.com, we'll say it again so people know where to go. Uh, And I think we'll probably put the link to that in our show notes as well. So you get to pull it for free once a year. Do you guys know, is there a best time in the year for people to pull it or does that matter at all? So some people take a different approach to how they use it. You can pull each one once every 12 months. So some people will pull like Experian in March. 
And then three months later, they'll pull Equifax. And then three months later, they'll pull TransUnion. So that's one method of kind of doing it. You do probably want to check them before you make a big credit purchase, like a couple months before, so you know what you're up against. It's not going to go against you to look at your credit reports, right? So it's just going to help you make decisions on how to improve your overall credit history in order to get the best credit worthiness when you go to take out a loan. Yes. So that, that Jake, does that answer your question about when maybe a good time? Yeah. I was just curious um, if there was, you know, yeah, if there was a time recommended of time of year, I didn't, if they, if they coincided with anything, but, you know, I think it seems like an individual decision as long as you're monitoring it. And, and like Andrea said, if you do have a big purchase that you're planning on coming up, you probably like, if you're going to buy a house soon, you probably want to check your credit before that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's yeah. specific to an individual as, of when it might be most opportune to pull that credit. So I used to include it in like around tax season, I would usually pull my credit reports just to kind of like, that is when I do all of my annual financial awareness stuff. It was just a habit that I got into. But I think that's great. So I think that's great if you can come up with a system like that, where you're checking it on the rate, you know, in tax, tax season is a good time because you're already thinking about all that stuff. So it's just like, oh, okay, now I'm going to check my report this year. I was actually thinking the same thing, like as I asked the question, if like that might be a good time to check it because you're checking out so much of your other finances at the same time. So, but if that works for you, that's, you know, that's one way. If, if there's other ways, that's great too. Um, so other things that can help you kind of monitor, I, I had mentioned like my bank, I know provides me with a free credit score once a week. These may be created as consumer facing scores, like I know mine is to all customers. So wherever you do your banking, they may be, they may be able to provide that for you. And then there's also a credit monitoring service. And a lot of these are free tools like Credit Karma, which my guess is people have heard of before. They will also pull a score for you. It may not be as accurate as like through these other you know, like your credit report and your financial institution, but it is a way that you could check to have a ballpark idea to help you make decisions as well. Thanks, Nikki. That's, that's really good to know. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, obviously having a high credit score is, can be advantageous for you, can help you making future purchases or taking out loans and having a lower credit score can obviously have some challenges associated with it. What are some things that people can do if they're trying to rebuild their credit or maybe for some of our younger listeners that don't have a long credit history, what can they do to build their credit? It can sometimes be more difficult to establish credit than rebuild poor credit into a better credit. A few things that you can use or tools that you can use when you're trying to build and maintain good credit history is when you're looking to establish or rebuild is look for secured lines of credit, like secured credit cards or secured personal loans to start establishing on-time payment history. With secured types of credit, you have to put in a certain amount of cash, either into a savings account or checking account. Sometimes it's a CD with the financial institution that you're doing business with, and they will extend you a line of credit and you have to make payments right on that 
that credit. So you, let's say it's a credit card. This is really good for people that are have never had credit before. They take out a secured credit card. They have uh, $500 that they put in a CD or savings account associated with that secured credit card, and they can borrow up to $500 on that credit card. And if they fail to make a payment, then the lender will take the money out of their security, their savings account or their CD to make that payment. So then it's a low risk for the lender, but it provides an opportunity for people to establish on-time payment history. We've probably already mentioned this, but one of the biggest factors for most credit scoring algorithms is on-time payment history, and that takes time, right? You can't just make on-time one on-time payment and then you have great credit, <laughs> right? It, it can take as much as six months to even have enough data to create a score if you've never had one before. Some scoring algorithms require less time, some require more time. So making sure that you're consistent with making payments is a big piece of improving your credit worthiness over time. And it doesn't have to be paying in full. It just needs to be on time and for the minimum, right? At least for the minimum. Obviously, you're going to cost yourself more if you only pay the minimum. But let's say there was one month it was kind of rough. If you can only make the, the minimum payment, that is still going to provide good data if it's on time, right? So that's a, that's a big piece of the puzzle. And I'm going to remind you of this. If you're monitoring your credit, like you're using a, mo- a credit monitoring tool or even paying for one, and you're not seeing a change in your credit scores or your credit worthiness overnight, that's okay. You need to look more broadly at what the, the scores look like over time. If you are seeking new credit and shopping around, like let's say you're, you're looking for a house and you're trying to shop around for a mortgage, even if you already have good credit and you don't want anything bad to happen to it, you want to submit applications for mortgages at the same, like within seven to 14 days. So then it only looks like one hard inquiry against your credit. So whenever you're seeking out some type of credit tool, which shows up on your credit reports, any of your credit reports as a credit inquiry, and it's a hard inquiry if you're the one seeking out the credit yourself. If you're, let's say you get pre-screened offers from different lenders, those are called soft inquiries and they don't count against you when it comes to the credit scoring algorithms. So when you are shopping around, if you're, let's say you're looking for a mortgage, remember, just try to do it in a very short time frame. If you're submitting a credit card application once a month, right, that's going to hurt your credit. So you want to try to do it all in the same time frame. If you get denied, you are legally entitled for the reason why, as well as a copy of your report. So make sure that you get that. Usually the the lender or vendor, whoever denied you the service will automatically provide it, but you are legally entitled to it. So that's important to remember if you are denied. And then you wait maybe a few months before trying again. And another thing is if you struggle to say no to pre-approved offers, then you might consider opting out of pre-approved or pre-screened offers you can use something uh, called optoutprescreen.com, which is another website created from the Fair Credit Reporting Act to opt out of pre-screened offers from 
credit card companies, for instance. Um, so just so- to just to be clear, you mean that's like when you get it in the mail, like mm-hmm. you're pre-approved for this credit card. You're like, oh, great. I'm going to just activate it. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Or even sometimes if you have a line of credit at a, an existing line of credit at a financial institution, you know, sometimes they might pre-approve you for more credit on that existing line, or they might pre-approve you for a new better card or the next card up. But yeah, you can opt out if, if that's something that you think is, is best for you. The opt-out, I believe, only works for new pre-screen offers. If your lender is just automatically upping how much your credit is, like my credit card company has done that a couple times, I don't believe that it counts for that. Okay, that's a that's a good good thing to know because that's happened to me before as well. Like I see a higher credit limit on my credit card and I was like, what's going on with that? <laughs> So you can call them and say, hey, no, please don't. (laughs) But as far as opting out for the future, I'm not sure that this particular resource helps with. Well, at least it covers, at least it covers new ones. So that's good too. And I, Andrea, I wanted to follow up on the, on the credit check thing. I think a lot of people hear that if you check your credit too much, you can get, you know, quote unquote, beamed on your score um, with the hard inquiries. So you said like to do it within a range because if you do them within like a certain time frame, then that'll only check as one hard mm-hmm. inquiry, correct? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's when you are seeking out a service or a product specifically. So like if you pay Experian for your score as a consumer, like you just you're you want to pay the fifteen dollars, you want to know what Experian scores you as that is going to be a soft inquiry. However, if you are seeking credit, like you want a RV loan, for instance, trying to capture as many different types of lending services available, you want an RV loan. And so you apply with the RV company that's going to make it because they offer financing. That's going to be a hard inquiry. But you might also want to check with your bank or another bank to see if they can offer you a better interest rate. And it's important to remember that if it's different types of loans, like credit card is going to be its own type of inquiry. Uh, RV loan is going to be its own type of inquiry or recreational vehicle loan. It's going to be Mm -hmm. its own type of inquiry. A mortgage is going to be its own type of inquiry. But if you try to do all three at the same time, it's going to be different types, right? So like the auto loan, the RV loan, the mortgage, the credit card. But if it's six different credit card companies and you do it all in the same five-day period, it'll count as one inquiry. That's good to know. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying, Andrea. I think it's, yeah, I think as consumers, you know, it's like we have the right to shop around for the best deal for us, but just make sure you're doing it in a timely fashion so that it doesn't count as multiple inquiries. Well, thanks, Nikki and Andrea for explaining uh, all of that to us today. This, I mean, credit's a very important topic when people are thinking it's about so their important. finances. It's so important, in fact, that we will be doing another podcast a little bit more in depth on credit um, in the future. So I was just going to say, where can our listeners go if they want to learn more about credit than you know what we covered today? 
So we have a webinar coming up called Conscious Credit on November 11th at noon with our colleagues in University of Illinois Extension and DePaul University. And you can register at go.uillinois.edu slash Get Savvy Webinars. It's part of our Get Savvy, Grow Your Green Stuff webinar series that lots of institutions are partnering on. And I think that as you're thinking about credit and as you're thinking about how to manage your credit or accomplish your your goals in the future, um, remember that credit can be confusing, even for people that have been in the industry for a long time. There are new myths that seem to pop up every single day about how to correctly monitor it or manage it or approach it in whatever way. And you need to view credit as something that requires lifelong learning in order to manage effectively. We've already talked about fintech that increases to grow (laughs) every single day. And credit is a component of financial technology that will continue to grow every single day and have new issues that pop up and new methods of uh, dealing with it. If this is still confusing to you, don't worry. But hopefully you at least learned a little bit about what a credit score is, what a credit report is, and why you should, you know, be aware of them and and the effects that they can have. But make sure to join us for that webinar. It's going to be good. Andrea and I will definitely be there. You may not hear us, but we'll be there (laughs) helping. And I think we'll we'll put the link, um, if you didn't catch Andrea saying it, we'll put the link to join the webinar or register for it in our our show notes as well. So if any of the listeners want to check that out, uh, you'll just have to take a look at that. If you can't be there live, that's fine because the link will also, you'll be able to um, watch a replay as well. So if you're listening to this podcast months later, you could still go on and view the webinar. Perfect. Perfect. So lots of opportunities to learn about credit. Well, I just want to say thank you to Nikki and Andrea for telling us everything about the basics of credit today. Uh, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners did as well. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us today on Making Sense of Money. Please make sure to share our podcast with your family and friends and subscribe on Apple or Google Play uh, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, our next episode will be aired during International Fraud Awareness Week, uh, which is November 15th through the 21st. We'll discuss ways to look out for fraud, including some specific scams that are taking place during right now during the pandemic. So you won't want to miss it. Thanks again, guys. Mm-hmm.